Well, we're jumping back into this series called Rooted, and this series has been a pretty incredible series talking about how we can be more rooted in who God calls us to be, that God made us and God created us, and so therefore we want to be rooted in in who he wants us to be. And so the first week we talked about who God is, and we answered this question, who is God, and we looked at that uh, through scripture. And then last week we had the opportunity to hear from Dan, and he talked about how God speaks to us. Hang on one second. Inside joke from last week. Anybody get it? Yeah, right? We talked about how God speaks to us, that we need to be listening for God to speak to us. And today, today we get to answer a question or try to answer a question that I believe might be one of the most difficult questions we've had on this earth. It's one of the questions that I believe keeps people from coming to faith. It keeps people from following Jesus. It might even keep you as a follower of Jesus kind of on the heels going, I don't really know, or maybe I doubt this. Here's the question. Where is God in the midst of suffering. Where is God in the midst of suffering? Now, by a show of hands, because it's a time to be honest in this room, has anyone ever thought that or said that over the course of your life? By a show of hands, anybody? Look around. You're not alone. This is a real thought. This is a real emotion. This is a real question, and you're not alone in this. In fact, if you've ever watched a loved one suffer through cancer, you might have thought this question. If you've ever watched some parents have to bury their children after a car accident, you might have asked this question. If your parents are separated or divorced, you might have asked this question. If you have any compassion in you whatsoever, chances are you've asked this question or thought this question at some point in your life. And you're not alone. In fact, individuals in the Bible, individuals that we look up to in the Bible ask this question. David, you remember David? Man after God's own heart. Listen to what David says throughout Scripture. Get this. He cries out, God, where are you? Don't you hear my prayers? Why don't you do something? My enemies are after me. God, are you even listening? Those are words from David or Job. Anybody here ever read the book of Job? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, that stuff's messed up, right? I mean, you think about Job and Satan attacked him, attacked him, takes his livestock, takes his career, takes his health. His whole family is a wreck. He's got boils all over his body. His friends turn into jerks. His wife looks at him and says this, well, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Marriage counseling much, right? I mean, why don't you just curse God? In other words, Job, you'd be better off if you were just dead. And throughout the book of Job, Job's asking this question, God, where are you? God, where are you? And so for the next 25 minutes or so, let me make two promises. Number one, I will not be able to answer every question that you have. I can't do it. I can't. But I'll be able to point you to the one who someday will. Promise number two, today I cannot take away any of your pain or your past or your hurt or your circumstance. I can't take that away, but I can hopefully give you hope in the midst of your pain and past and hurt and circumstance. And let's just get it all out of the room right now. Let's look at the elephant in the room. For some of you here today, this is going to come across incredibly insensitive. And the reason it's going to come across incredibly insensitive is because for some of you, the hurt and the pain and the past and the circumstances are so real in your life right now that the last thing you need is for someone to speak out about it. The last thing you need is answers. The thing you need is for someone like Job's friends, when they got it right, you need someone to come and sit in the ashes with you. See, that's where Job's friends got it right. When Job's friends screwed it up, you know when they screwed it up? When they opened their mouth. That's when they screwed it up. And some of you in this room are hurting right now, and it's so fresh, and it's so new, and the pain that you have is so real, and the circumstance you're going through right now is so real that today might feel like it's just a tad bit too soon. 
But if we're truly going to be rooted, if we're truly going to have authentic faith, we have to at least approach this question. That's why I love the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is just this individual writing poetry and being honest with God and being honest with themselves. And so if you're here today and you've had loss of relationship, if you're here today and you've had loss of someone, or if you're here today and you just kind of lost hope, we should be able to verbalize that. That's why the psalmist writes this in Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. It says this, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Sound familiar? That's Jesus from the cross. He's quoting this scripture. Why are you so far from me when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Far too often, church, isn't it the case that we get really, really good at pretending? We can walk in these doors right here. We walk in and someone can ask us how things are going and we immediately go, you know, things are good. But it's true, right, that hurt and tragedy finds all of us. It comes in all shapes and all sizes to all people. And sometimes we just have to be honest like the psalmist is and say, this is how I feel. This is how I feel in the midst of my hurt. This is how I feel in the midst of my pain. This is how I feel in the midst of my suffering. This is how I feel. And as important as feelings are, so are facts. In fact, I believe that there are three ways, three directions hurt comes from. First one is this. Hurt is caused by us. Hurt is caused by us. Uh, All participation in the room right now. How many of you have ever done dumb things? Raise your hand real high. Yeah. If your hand's not up, congrats, man. Congrats, right? We've all done dumb things. And those dumb things causes hurt. Unfortunately, they don't just cause hurt to us. They cause hurt to other people. Case in point, yesterday. I'll just kind of tell you this yesterday. Uh, 11 o'clock service only. Only you're getting this. So this is great, right? So yesterday, we go out to Mission Park. I take my son out to Mission Park to go sledding. And I was super excited to take him sledding. Except Mission Park, if you've been there recently, a lot of people have been down this hill already. <laughs> and so it's just ice. It is solid ice from top to bottom. I don't realize this. I take my six-year-old son and I stick him on a sled and I just push him. (laughs) Seven miles later and across I-90, I got to go get my son, right? We put a helmet on him after that, right? Hurt caused by us. We, We do dumb things and therefore it hurts other people. The second kind of hurt is hurt caused by others. Hurt caused by others. Other people do dumb stuff too. And because of their senseless acts, because of their dumb stuff, it causes hurt inside of us. The last hurt is this, hurt caused by a broken world. Hurt caused by a broken world. If you were to corner me and say, hey, Ryan, where does cancer come from? I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I do know is that we live in a broken world, and I think it comes from there. See, the story of the Bible, it hasn't changed The story of the Bible is that God created the universe, and after declaring it good, he set it free, and God has not contributed anything bad to it ever since. And so the source of our heartache and the source of our hardship is because of the broken world we live in today. So bad things happen to bad and broken people. But that's not how God designed it. God designed it. He made everything good. And so all of us have this longing that things could be better. All of us have this longing that we want things to be better, that maybe in the past it was better, and maybe in the future it will be better. We have this longing. And if we think philosophically about that for a second, that at one point it was, and at one point it will be, perhaps it once was and will be. See, in a biblical worldview, that is true. 
And so when you ask the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? I'll tell you where he's not. He's not behind it. And for so many of us in this room, that's hard to hear today, right? He's not behind it. You, you heard the three sources of hurt. Source is from us, from others, and a broken world. Who's not on the list, church? Help me out. Who's not on the list? God. God's not on the list. He's not behind it. But one of the first places that we go when we get hurt is we get frustrated with God. And then we start to blame God for something he didn't do. And it immediately creates distance between us and God. And we separate ourselves from the one person who can actually and is most equipped to do something about our circumstance. See, when you begin to blame someone, you create distance. Isn't this true? In your life, don't you do this? You begin to blame your friends for something, it creates distance. You begin to blame your teacher for something, it creates distance. Or your spouse, or your neighbor, or your coworkers, or your kids, you blame them, and automatically it begins to create distance between you and them. He's not behind it. And so when we come to God and say, God, where are you? God, why, why aren't you doing something? When we get frustrated with God, we get angry with God, we're just creating distance between us and him. Do you know where he is? Number two, he's with you in it. He's with you in it. See, when I'm going through hard stuff, when I'm going through hardships, when I'm going through suffering, you know what I want? I want one thing. You know what it is? I want out. I want out. You know what God wants? God wants one thing. God wants in. God is brokenhearted over it. He hurts with you. All we want is, God, can you make it stop? God, can you make this boss go away? God, can you make this illness go away? God, can you bring the appointment sooner to us? God, can you make my friend stop causing drama? God, can you get me out of this financial struggle? God, can you get me out of this? All I want is out. God wants in. I told you earlier, facts and feelings, they have to be acknowledged. God, I feel like you left me, but I know you haven't. God, I feel like I can't get through this, but I know you can help me. See, there are feelings that we have, and those feelings and those emotions, they have to be verbalized. Those feelings and those emotions, they have to come out, but at the same time, we have to have facts coming back at us. This past week, I had the opportunity to sit with my community group. And if you're not in community with one another, you're, you're missing out. See, this week at community group, what we did is we sat down and we said, how do you feel like God is speaking to you? One question, that's all we did. Went around the circle, everybody got to share how do you feel like God is speaking to you? And it was amazing as we went around this circle, we got to hear people say, you know what, I felt like when, when this tragedy happened, when this thing went down, when my boss did this, when my coworker did this, when my kids did this, and, and there was so much tragedy happening, there were so many things being brought up. What was amazing is, is people were sharing about all of these other things that were going on in their life, the tragedy and the hurt and the pain and the suffering. You know what was happening? Those same people in the group who'd walked with them for the past year, watching all of this stuff take place, began to lean over the table and say, but remember how faithful God was when? Remember when this group did? And in the midst of all of these feelings of, I felt so abandoned, I felt so alone, I felt so ashamed, I felt so, there were facts coming back saying, but God was faithful, but God was faithful, but God brought you through, but God had a rescue. That's so why the psalmist writes this in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. See, sometimes in the lowest moments of our life are the moments that he's the closest. I'm not saying go look for terrible. I'm not saying go look for suffering. It will find you. But when it does, aren't you grateful for a God who will meet you there when it does? There's a couple stories in the Bible where this has played out. 
these three guys in the book of Daniel by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're looking for some names for some kids later, there you go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they follow God. They follow God wholeheartedly, almost to a fault. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, there's another name for you if you need another one. King Nebuchadnezzar comes to these guys because they refuse to bow down to the king. They'll only bow down to God. And he says, hey, here's the deal. If you don't bow down to me, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. They say, you know what? God will save us. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to you, O king. Now, for those of you that know the story, and I know that I'm only talking to a subset of people in the room, for those of you that know the story, did God save them from the fiery furnace? Yes. No. What Bible are you reading? He didn't save them from the fiery furnace. He saved them through the fiery furnace. They got thrown in. King Nebuchadnezzar threw them in. There were three guys in there. There were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then when the king came to find out what was going on, the king came to figure out why they weren't dead. And he came in there. And you know what he saw? He saw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And if you've seen VeggieTales, a very shiny one. (laughs) Some of you just had a flashback. He didn't save them through the fire, in the fire. He saved them through the fire. He came in with them. Same story, the book of Daniel. Daniel. Did God save Daniel from the lion's den? No. He saved him through the lion's den. He came in. He shut the mouths of the lions. Or Jesus. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he said, God, is there any other way? God didn't save him from the cross. He saved him through the cross. More importantly, he saved you through the cross. Or Lazarus. It's a story our kids are going through right now in Kidman. It's a good friend of Jesus, brother of Mary and Martha. He dies. Jesus didn't save him from death. He saved him through death and brought him back to life. See, what we need to do is we need to look at God's faithfulness, the practice that we need to have as a church, the practice that we need to have as individuals, the practice we need to have as small groups is this. We need to rehearse God's faithfulness to yourself. See, so often, don't we do this where we take this Instagram moment of our life, we take this snapshot moment of our life, and right then and right there, we say, I don't like this. I wish this didn't happen. I don't understand this. This doesn't seem fair. And we look at this one little moment of our life. But if you expand that over a 10-year season of your life, where you follow Jesus, over a 10-year season of your life, you know what you'll find? You'll find that God is faithful. That while you didn't choose that, and while you didn't want that, and while that didn't seem fair at the moment, you know what you'll find? You'll find that God was faithful, and God is faithful, and God will forever be faithful. That's why Isaiah writes in Isaiah 41, verse 10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. He's with you. He's with you in it. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. He's not behind it. He's with you in it. And number three, he's at work through it. This might be the hardest one for all of us to come to grips with. He's at work through it. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything, not just some things, not just the good things, not little things, everything. If you got your Bible open today, I'd love for you to circle that, underline that, poke a little finger, and then get some blood and underline it with that. I don't care. Get it, get it in there. Causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Here's the deal. God is so strong, and God is so powerful, and God is so good that even the things that he doesn't want to have happen, 
He can use those things and make moments out of them that he wants to have happen. In other words, he can give you a choice and accomplish his will at the same time. He's at work. And here's the beauty. Hurt comes to every single one of us. Every single one of us has hurt. Every single one of us goes through suffering. Every single one of us goes through trial. But here's the thing. It's never wasted. It always matters. Even when you're hurting, God is still working. So for the people in the room right now, I don't know what it might be for you. It might be that someone let you down. It might be that you've lost someone really important to you. It might be that you're in a broken relationship. It could be that someone was sick and and they didn't make it. It could be that there's someone that lied to you, took advantage of you, gossiped about you. It might be that life's not going the way that you wanted it to go. It could be something as big as cancer. It could be something as inconvenient as a sore throat on a day you're supposed to give a presentation. It could be that you were praying for someone and now they've got to go to hospice. It could be that you got a flat tire on your way to work and you missed an important, important meeting at work and, and there's a chance that you might be losing your job. It could be parents' divorce. It could be friend drama. It could be a number of different things. But wherever you're hurting, whatever level it is, however personal it feels, remember that God has a purpose in the midst of it. And he's using difficult times to do something in you and through you and for you. James, the brother of Jesus, says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, not if troubles, says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, our hope as followers of Jesus is that our hurt is never wasted. That God is using it to forge us and change us and send us back to the same place where he can turn misery into ministry. You know who the best person to talk to uh, with somebody with depression is? Somebody who's been there. You know who the best person to talk to somebody with cancer is? A cancer survivor. You know who the best person to talk to someone about miscarriage is? Families who've been there. You know who the best person to talk about losing a loved one or a spouse? Somebody who's been there. Where God can take misery and turn it into ministry, where God can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. We had that moment last week. Did you know that? Last week, right here at Valley Real Life, we got to experience incredible life change over some horrific events. So there was a lady who came to church last week, and she gave her life to Jesus. And the story is actually backtracked months before that, where she came in these doors for the celebration of life for one of her best friends. And as she listened to the testimony of who Jesus is and what Jesus can do and is able to do in the midst of of tragedy, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, she had the opportunity to fall more in love with Jesus and gave her life to Christ last week. In the midst of tragedy, God made triumph. In the midst of misery, God made ministry. You think about Freeman and the horrific events that took place at Freeman a little over a year and a half ago. Over senseless act that I don't want to fathom or think about. But you think about just the opportunity that God is opening some doors for us to potentially go and do ministry inside that building. That God is opening doors for us to go and spread the name of Jesus inside those walls. You ask the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? Look around. He's here. 
He's here and he sends us out. He sends us out to offer encouragement. He sends us out to offer comfort. He sends us out to offer empathy, to become the hands and feet of Jesus. You ask the question, where is God? He's here. And so we've got to go out and we've got to show people who God is, that God didn't cause it, that God will be there through it and he'll do something with it and a rescue is coming. James 5.13 says this, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Two practical suggestions for us to do today as a church. If life is good, sing. If life is bad, pray. And the reason we can do both with confidence is because we have a God who really is good. You know, when I was a kid, my dad would take a piece of candy and he'd put it in his hand. He'd clench real tight and he'd put it behind his back. And he'd switch hands and he'd bring it out. He'd say, pick one. And I'd pick one. He'd turn his hand over to reveal it. I picked wrong, usually. And he'd do this. And so I picked the other one. And he'd turn his hand over, but he wouldn't actually open up his hand. He'd just turn his hand over and leave it like this. I was a little kid, and so I, I pried with all of my superhuman powers, right? Finally get it open. He pretended like I was the strongest person alive, and I'd finally get it open. I would take the piece of candy, and I would run in the opposite direction, laughing at my dad. Don't we do the same thing with God? God offers us something, and we take what we want. God, I just want a good life. God, I just want a good marriage. God, I just want a good paying job. God, I just want good health. And we take what we want, and we run in the opposite direction. And all too often, I think we miss what God is actually offering us. It's more than just the gift in his hands. It's his hands. And this wasn't lost on King David. David writes this in Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. He says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. His hands are open, church. And far too often, don't we do this? Don't we do this where we're suffering, and we're going through pain, and we're going through trials, and we've got all this stuff that we're like, God, if you can just fix this. And God's saying, yeah, but my hands are here. My hands are open. And so often, we begin to distance ourselves from God because we say, God, where are you? And he's saying, I'm right here. Now, I know the tendency of the people in the room because I sit in this seat often. And I know that there's some other emotions going on in your mind right now. I know that there might be some questions that you have, right? That's all fine and dandy. I bet your life's been perfect. For you to say that God didn't cause it, you don't know what I've been through. To say that, that God is with me, right? How do you know? To say that God's gonna turn good out of this, sure he is. See, I'm not immune to this either. I said hurt comes in all shapes and sizes. Let me explain one of mine. My dad, I just told you a story about. My dad is probably the most loving and caring individual I've ever known. Incredible, incredible man. Sacrificed so much time and energy and effort just to show us how much he loved us. But my dad was never healthy. See, my dad grew up with a disease called hemophilia. For those of you that don't know what hemophilia is, it's a disease where your blood doesn't clot. And so let me just kind of spell this out for you. Whenever my dad would cut himself shaving, we'd go to the ER immediately. They had to get the blood to stop. He couldn't play many sports as a kid because if he played sports as a kid and got hit with a baseball or got tackled too hard or whatever it might have been, immediately, urgent care, immediately, 
emergency room. It didn't matter. And so my dad had just kind of a, a different life, a real different life of trying to be careful. But at the same time, my dad was a cop. Doesn't really make sense, I know. My dad was on the SWAT team, one of the best sharpshooters of the SWAT team. And so every time they had to go out and qualify, every time they had to go training, he would take a gun and he would have to shoot this gun. And you can imagine the gun hitting the shoulder and hitting the shoulder and hitting the shoulder over and over and over again as he was training. It just causes his, his shoulder to just begin to bruise over. And so typically what would happen is he would go to training and after he'd get him training, we just knew to meet him at the hospital. He's going to go and he's got to get this figured out. Sometimes it'd be two days, sometimes it'd be four days, sometimes it'd be a week. But he was committed. And I watched for 21 years my dad suffer with this disease. For 21 years, I, I began to ask God the question that many of you have asked before. God, where are you? God, this, this is the most loving and caring individual I've ever met. Where are you? Why don't you do something? God, I know you're capable of doing something. I'm hearing stories, God, about how you're healing this person. I'm hearing stories about this person's dad and this person's person. And I'm hearing all of these incredible stories. God, where are you in the midst of this one? And for 21 years, I wrestled with that question. It was November 11th, 2003. I received a phone call from my mom. She said, Ryan, your dad went fishing last night and he didn't come home. Now, I'm in Joplin, Missouri. My mom was in North Platte, Nebraska. It's about a nine and a half hour drive. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I can get in my car and I can drive home, but by the time I get home, he's going to be home. It's unlike him. He's going to be home. Next day, not home. Thanksgiving passed, still not home. Christmas passed, still not home. In March, I received another phone call from my mom. She said, Ryan, we found your dad's body. Now, I don't remember much from November 11th to that fateful day in March. There's not a lot I remember. I don't remember much of my senior year of college. I don't remember much of my first year of marriage. I don't remember much of my time spent in a small town in Kansas preaching to the church. I don't remember much of that season of life, but here's what I do remember. I remember many nights on my knees crying out to God, God, would you bring him home? God, would you do something? God, would you just bring him back? And it wasn't until recently that I came to grips with this. Sometimes God answers our prayers here and sometimes God answers our prayers there. I've watched my dad suffer for 21 long years. I watched him suffer my entire life. But he has a new body, void of pain. And I'm thankful for that. See, some of you are here today and you're struggling. Some of you are here today and you've got pain and suffering and all sorts of stuff that you're dealing with today. And I want to say to you, just as Jesus' brother James said, pray. If you're struggling today, pray. And if you're too tired and you're too frustrated or you're too angry, your first step today should be right over here to the cross. We've got some loving individuals who would love to pray with you and for you. If life is bad, pray. Otherwise, we as a church, we need to sing.
If life is going well, we need to sing because our brothers and sisters around us, our family and our friends around us, they need to hear the encouragement and they, may, they need to hear us sing out how good our God is. And you might push back and say, well, Ryan, I'm not a very good singer. Guess what? I'm not either. There's enough people in this room. We'll blend in. So when life is bad, pray. When life is good, let's sing. Let's put both into practice today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity we have right here, right now, to sing or to pray, to put both into practice today, how faithful and how good you are. God, we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.